from his studios in New York. It's time for Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora, where sports meets life. Here's your host, Dan Tortora. Welcome back here to Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora on wakeupcalldt.com, your one-stop sports shop, and on mixlr.com backslash wakeupcalldt is where you're listening. You're watching on Facebook Live, facebook.com backslash live now dt, inside of the Charney's Menswear and Tuxedo Studios, hanging out here this morning, and in Mon Paz Kettle Corn and Popcorn Factories, what's popping? Letting you know the list of topics coming up for the day. We'll get to LSU and Clemson, but we have Otis Hill on the line, and hour number two we'll have Jen Carlton of Marywood University my alma mater, and then we'll have the ingredients to success, which is that mic on fire. We always have a great time here. Alan, shout out to you saying present, making me feel like a teacher in this room. But a lot of great things coming up. Always fantastic to be with you. 17 plus years as I start off 2020 in being a broadcast. I've now been a broadcaster longer in my life than I haven't been. So it's a beautiful thing here to be able to start right around 17, 18 years old and be where we are today. And Otis Hill has has definitely become a, a friend uh, well beyond. I grew up watching Otis. Always appreciate him. I made him a question in trivia to see how many people remembered Otis's number four. Because, it, you know, people remember players, but I always try and see if people can remember numbers and whatnot. So he doesn't even know this, but he's been a part of my trivia questions, been a part of a lot of stuff. So he's he's a great guy in my life, always been there. For me, uh, having him on the show is a dream come true when I watched Cuses in the House as a kid. And then ultimately, you know, where we stand today to to be able to appreciate everything he did in the history for Syracuse basketball, but to be able to, uh, more than anything else, laugh with a friend every single broadcast that we get to do together. So with that being said, I have Otis for you this morning on Wake Up Call with Dan Tortora. He is live with us, this Syracuse Orange men's basketball alum. And we're about to have a conversation that we never know where it's going to go. We just know that we're going to get Otis to laugh. That's the whole point of this. So, Otis, how are we doing today? I'm good, Dan. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well. And, and Otis, you and I were talking off the air about how supportive Syracuse fans have been lately. How how have you handled the the ups and downs of this as you have been a former player and, and you know what it's like to get booed in the Dome? Oh, my God. I feel so bad for those boys. I can remember... Uh... My freshman year, you know, we, we were playing and we had a couple of bad games. I mean, they were horrendous, but they were only two. Yeah. And I can remember coming out of the locker room onto the floor and getting booed. And, and I kind of looked at my point guard, who at the time was Adrian Archery, and he looked at me and said, hey, we got to start winning. So pretty much that told me that the fans bleed orange. And... I know some people may say, oh, they're hard and they're being this, but they just want to win. And you can't blame them for wanting to win. No, you can't. And the thing is, though, I mean, Syracuse fans have been more than spoiled. I mean, we, we look at the fact that there are 49, currently, 49 straight winning seasons for Syracuse basketball, going from Jim Beheim back to Roy Danforth. And to look at what Roy did and, and what Jim has done, 49 straight years of winning seasons for Syracuse basketball, dating all the way back to the 1970-71 season. If they are to have a winning season this season, this would be 50 straight. So 
you know, you said you can't you can't fault Syracuse for wanting a win, but you get spoiled up in Syracuse when you're used to having a winning record. Very true, very true. You know, we've had some great teams over the years, and and I think you're right. Fans have just gotten accustomed to having a, a coach put out a, a great team, and when they lose, the fans are a little bit taken back by it, and they want their wins. <laughs> Yeah, they definitely do, and you, they want to see it. And this this season has started out as, as a struggle, speaking here with Syracuse Orange basketball alum Otis Hill. And, you know, seeing, you know, where they where they started, where they've gone up to this point. I mean, you watch this team. You stay close to your alma mater. What were your takeaways in, in how they started this season? I mean, they had to play against Virginia because the ACC now asks you to play 20 conference games instead of 18. So to be to have to do something like that, you know, and, and play Virginia right off the bat, but then Syracuse lost some other games that, you know, people didn't think were going to go in that direction. They lost both games at the Barclays Center in the home away from home in the New York City, Brooklyn area. Uh, what, what what were you thinking when this season first started? Uh, when I was looking at the rosters and doing a lot of reading up on the guys, you know, Joe Girard um, is a big, big, big recruit in upstate New York. So there was always people coming to me asking me about how I thought the team was going to be. And the one thing I noticed was something that a lot of teams are having troubles with. No seniors. Yeah. You, you, you don't have those veteran players that know how to do the little things, the little tactics to get the team ready to play or to get a guy to come out of his shell and play. You know, I always had older guys that I looked up to who had been in tough situations and they were always there to give me that bit of encouragement or that bit of, little bit of information. These guys don't really have it. They're learning on the fly, and that's tough to do when you're a team full of young guys. And we have great talent. You know, we really have great talent. But I think you need certain older guys who are role players and who are willing to do the dirty work and sacrifice maybe some points or something else to get the win. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing, not having the veterans. And we talk about parity in collegiate athletics and and here's the thing with with you know with the parity side of it is times are changing you know we're, we're seeing the fact that teams are getting a lot closer to one another and you know the teams like Wofford are, are pulling off victories and you know and and, and obviously yeah, Evansville has been able to do some things you know the the teams that are winning and the teams that are getting Wofford is no slouch you know this is a team that's won games before you know though we look at a team like Butler who, you know, once they got into the tournament, have more often than not stayed in. They played in back-to-back national championship games against Duke, and they were a half-court heave away of the ball rolling out and not having them. And Gonzaga, people may not know this if you're a kid growing up now, but Gonzaga was a team that nobody knew about in the state of Washington, and now Gonzaga's a thing. So, you know, there's something to be said about parity, and, and I think that what's happening with parity and why we're seeing a closing of the gap even more so is because a lot of these schools that are pulling off these quote-unquote upsets have seniors, have, have veterans that have been on the team for four or five years and learned all the way through, and that's really hard to go up against. So, you know, they say, well, how can Kentucky lose to Evansville, and how do games like that happen? Well, if Kentucky's reloading every single year and you got a team who's consistently playing up against John Calipari or whatever it may be doing, or they're just, you know, learning to play together, you cannot substitute a team that starts to know each other's tendencies, strengths and weaknesses, and, and ultimately has been together for a long time. So, I mean, do you attribute that to some of the changes in these 
quote-unquote upsets that we're seeing are, are the fact that some of these teams that, that not a lot of people know about have players that have been there and will be there all the way till the end. You know, I, I agree with you 100%. I'm an orange, I'm an orange faithful. You know, I, I got a pair of orange and Syracuse shorts right now. But what I definitely want to touch on and just piggyback on what you said is, you're right. These teams that are beating teams, it's it, it just it's just a matter of time. You can have all the talent in the world sometimes, and we've seen it with Kentucky. We've seen it with uh, Duke. We've seen it with these great teams. But like you said, once you have a team that's set and you got seniors in place in key positions, that's your point guard position, maybe at your three, your wing position. You know, now you have the knowledge and the experience. Because a lot of these guys haven't played these big-time college games because they're young freshmen, and yes, they are talented. But you're right. You don't have that team concept in the older players who have that experience, and you need that experience to go as far as you can. And these young, great teams are going to lose even more because these teams are ready, and and these guys are experienced, and they know what they're doing. Speaking here with Otis Hill, Syracuse Orange men's basketball alum, and and to look at the fact of you know some of the things that you brought up today. I mean, you talked about Joe Girard being a big time recruit in the state of New York, coming from Glens Falls. He won a state championship in Binghamton this year and was able to have the ball in his hands for a lot of big pieces of this. And before we go anywhere, I do want to do this because I promised uh, somebody that is listening and watching this morning had put out some love for Otis Hill, and and I am not one to keep that from you, Otis, by any stretch of the imagination. So we have uh, Jerry Kelly who had said, Otis is one of my all-time favorites, great player, better person. So I just wanted to give Jerry a shout-out and and ask you what you think about that, that, you know, you got fans always and forever and fans like Jerry who, who are coming out saying, listen, he was one of my favorite players. He's a great player, but he's an even better human being. You know what? It always, that's always, been, that, that's the biggest thing to me. You know, playing college basketball, winning and, and, and being on TV, that was great as a kid. But the friendships I've made, you know, you, uh, Coach Kelly, I know Coach Kelly. He used to coach at a high school. And I met him almost, I want to say, 10 years ago, and we've kept in touch and stayed friends. You know, that's what the, the, the most important things are when you go to college and you meet people. You know, you keep those long-lasting friendships. And it's great for me to be a player because at the end of the day, you know, I wasn't the, the biggest name of Kuk coming, but I was a decent player. And to hear people who still remember you and respect what you do is a great feeling. Well, and the thing is, I mean, no matter what you came in, recruited as, do you remember how many stars they gave you? Because I don't like the star system, and you'll never see it on my website. But do you remember if they had given you stars or, or what it was? I think I was three out of five. Okay. And it, and excuse my French, I never forget when I saw it before I went to Nike camp. It's so funny you said this because I was talking about this with my cousin Daniel Abrams, who played at Boston College. And we were looking back at our high school stuff. It was so funny because I was at his house last weekend. And uh, out of all the power forwards that year when I went to Nike ABCD camp, I ended up moving up at the end of that camp to top, top eight. So a lot of those rankings, like you said, I can't stand them either because you got a kid 
who nobody knows about who might go up and kill all these guys. Yeah. But he's going to be ranked lower because he's not a, a small school or not a big media area. Right, or, or the fact that, you know, you can't get out to these camps and you talk about the football side of it, basketball, whatever. You know, some of these people get more stars because they're talented, but they're at all these camps and they can be seen. And then some of these other people that don't have the money to travel or the ability to travel, you know, with their family and whatnot or, or lack thereof, they don't get out there. So there's a guy that might be a one star that's better than all the five stars out there, but nobody has seen him and he's coming from the state of Delaware. And so, I mean, this, the, the system is more than flawed. And I, I love the fact that not only is the system flawed, but someone such as Otis Hill was able to break that system, and I love that. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, my whole life has been that, with, especially with basketball. For some reason, basketball, I always, every time I found myself having to prove myself because I came from such a small area. You know, my dad took me out of the city, moved me to Pleasantville. We were a C school. I had 300 kids in my school. We ended up playing... Mount Vernon, who had 3,000 kids. Scarsdale, who had 3,000 kids. But because, I guess, my coach had confidence in me and and he wanted me to showcase, I got to play against those teams. But a lot of guys who are in these smaller schools, they don't get to play those competitions and they get left behind. So You got the opportunity to go out there and you got the opportunity to show yourself. And you had said, Otis, in, in your letting out this morning that you know, you've kind of always had the chip on your shoulder because you've always had to prove yourself. And, you know, I think I can, I don't think I know that I can sit with you this morning and and definitely say that I'm right there with you. I find it funny because I was speaking with a friend of mine, Gabby Holko, who's a coach at Susquehanna for the women's basketball team. And we were discussing, I said, you know, I didn't like being being the underdog. I didn't like being the person that you know, people thought, oh, he's not going to make it. He's not going to do it. He's starting his own company. There's no way it's going to work. How's he going to, you know, make this business run and this, that, and the other. And he's a young broadcaster and he needs to get in line and he's not on my level. And, you know, all the things that you hear coming through about, you know, because the, the media is such a loving and caring place. And, <laughs> and so to go through all of that, and be the underdog, and I couldn't stand it. And now I love, and I said this to her, I love sitting down, and you know, obviously figuratively, I love sitting down at a park with a stranger and playing a chess game and having that person think that I'm a total idiot. Because the 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 feeling of being the underdog and taking you down, and I think that Gonzaga can appreciate it. I think Butler can. In a way, I think they probably always want to stay that way. But, you know, speak to that a little bit because you've had to have a chip on your shoulder, feel like you got to prove yourself. I'm 17 years in the business and close to, you know, 10 years of, of running my own company. And I have questions today that I felt like I answered five years ago. So, yeah, it pisses me off. But there, so you, we know what it's like to be an underdog and we know what it's like to be counted out. But how sweet is it to just continue to, you know, muscle everybody out of the paint, so to speak? Uh, it, it, to me, there's no better feeling, you know, uh, people who looked at me and I had guys who I played with. I had guys who I played with in high school. Also, he was like, you're going to go to Syracuse. You may play your senior year. What? <laughs> and, yeah. and my whole aspect of it was, I'm going to fight until there's nothing left. And like you said, it's so much sweeter. Like when we went on our championship run, I, I can guarantee you. 90% of the country 
did not think we were going to go as far as we did. We had our faithful and we had us. Yeah. And when you, when you get to the point in your life where you're constantly making people look stupid because they didn't believe you could do it, there's no better feeling in the world. And I hope these guys understand. I hope the team starts to understand that and builds off the swing of Virginia. And they do get a little chippy and put that chip on their shoulder and go to the games because sometimes that's what it takes to win. And that, you know, that's the thing. Like when you said, there, there's no better feeling. And when you know that, all I could think about was was the laugh, the laugh that because there's there's a laugh and then there's another laugh, you know, and 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 there's there's that like, <laughs> and then there's that there's that, <laughs> you know, like that that one that you you just look out the corner of your eye and you get that jolly laugh. And I I look forward to the moments where I can have those laughs, those those like those gut laughs where I can just you know bump fists with Otis Hill and go, we got you again. So, but I mean, you know what I. You know what I mean? Because th- this world, this world is like, and I liken the world to an NFL stadium or uh, to a, to any stadium. And let's say an NFL stadium. I liken the world to this type of analogy. 70,000 people sitting in a stadium, 22 players on the field, 70,000 opinions, 22 people actually affecting the game. And that's how I feel like life is. There's so few of us that are on the field or on the court play or in the studio playing the game but there's so many people that have an opinion about how we play the game but that is life there's more people that have opinions than are willing to chase their dreams so shout out to the people that are out there chasing them right you're 100 correct and that's how unless you're in philly with the city of brotherly hate i mean they hate everybody there but <laughs> <laughs> yeah philly's worse than new york i love philly i go to philly a lot but philly's rough you know, you know what I realized though, and I, because I know Philly is rough, but I don't know if I could show my face in Boston. Are you ready for me to tell you why? <laughs> so, so uh, let, me, let, me, let me get my coffee ready, guys. <laughs> get your popcorn ready, Otis. All right. So, so I, I don't know if I can show my face. Now I've been in Massachusetts plenty of times, but I don't know if I can go to Boston. I went out on social media. Now, do you know Rob Drummond from football? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So Rob's one of my best friends. And so Rob and I are talking and we did a show together and we've done shows together for, you know, almost what, like eight, nine years now. So we're doing this show. We're talking in the morning, just like you are now on, on wake up call. And as we're having this conversation, we started talking about Tom Brady. And I said, I don't think he's the greatest of all time. And he was like, I don't think he's the greatest of all time. So we've done all these shows, but this one went viral. Some kid picked it up and he's like the guru to some Patriots fans, he's like the statistician of, you know, manipulating numbers to work in your favor. And so he starts putting stuff out. Otis, on Twitter alone, at CallDT, find me, people. You can feel free to keep letting it go. But last year on Twitter, at CallDT, C-A-L-L-D-T, over 500 messages on Twitter alone from Patriots fans wanting my head so i didn't do this i didn't kill him i didn't kill him i'm i'm about to kill him right now though i said i was like all right all right all right he's the goat he's the greatest of average throwers <laughs> you know what's so funny about that i i have a buddy who's a Patriots fan he used to be a giant fan a long time ago and he got he got mad when they fired Kaufman, and it's so funny. My nephew said that to him, that same exact thing. Yeah. 
He's the greatest of average. Because the thing is, you know, Tim Tebow does dink and dunk, and he's not a quarterback in the NFL. Brady has survived on dink and dunk, and they want to talk about, oh, my God. He's Listen, is he the winningest? Yes. But does he have the best arm strength? Does he have the best? I mean, he said it himself. If Aaron Rodgers was on that team that he's on right now, the Patriots, then Aaron Rodgers would have had 80 touchdowns in a season. He would have done so much more. So Brady has even said it. But I realize this too with fans. First of all, you can't have a conversation with a fan that can't see anything outside of their team. I love the Jaguars, but I didn't tell anybody in the world we were going anywhere near the Super Bowl this year because I could be a fan but I'm also realistic. So, but what I realize with Patriots fans is Tom Brady is their second coming of Jesus. He was on the cross. He wore the crown of thorns. He's had a rough life and he's here right now. Any man who likes Ugg boots for men, I have a problem with. I got qualms with that. So, I mean, when they won a game, he bought the entire team Ugg boots. I was like, if, if, if my quarterback bought me Ugg boots, I would think we lost. I would think something bad happened to me. So, you know, you we win, buy me a watch. You know, we win, get me a Rolex. Don't buy me male Uggs, you know what I mean? Like, And you know what male Uggs are, Otis? Because you, you can understand this and respect this. When you used to put on man boots, those, you know, those thick, man boots and you used to pull them off after shoveling snow for 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 the family when you got done shoveling snow and you took that boot off it was so stuck to you that the inside insulation would come out that's what an ugg boot is <laughs> it's insulation to real men boots listen this this new this new world that's coming up I, I, i'm I'm like that old that old dog that just wants to sit in the driveway and not leave his house. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so old school. I just this new world to me is just it's strange. Be- between <laughs> between being old school and dancing for no reason to the beat in my own head, I feel like I'm Pops from the Wayans Brothers show. Like that <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I liken myself more to Pops. You know, I I just kind of, or maybe, or maybe you and I are like Cube and Tucker, just sitting on, sitting on the front porch, just watching this world and, and just commentating. My grandmother used to, she would love when I took her anywhere publicly and sat her on a bench. Like we went to the mall and her favorite part of the mall was the hour and a half that we sat and ate lunch. Not because it took us an hour and a half to eat, but because she wanted to sit in the center of Carousel Mall at the time and just talk about all the crazy people that walk by her. Oh, yes. It's just about I, commentating. I the same way. Yeah. <laughs> it's just put anybody on a bench and just let them look at... I mean, my grandmother, you know, bless bless my grandmother in heaven. She lived to be almost 101. G-mama. Love her to pieces. And, and I got to shout her out before I say anything else, Otis, is that I believe that... I believe that, you know, there is a place after this place. I believe she's watching over us. I believe she's here. And she would be so upset with me. She went, and she's not really upset with me ever, but she loved you. She loved every player she watched. And what my grandmother used to do that, that meant the world to me is she would screen, she would watch every basketball game and every single football game into her 90s at least. And when she was watching the games, she would scream. So let's say you had you had a dunk, and let's say the dunk went off the mark and it rolled out of the rim. When they showed the replay, she would scream at the basket louder, and I would go, Grick, she did this for a football game before, and he the guy got eight or nine yards on the ground, 
And then she got up out of her chair, went to the TV, and she's screaming, go, louder and louder. I go, Grandma, it's a replay. And she goes, I know. I just figured if I scream louder, he could get a little bit farther this time. So <laughs> she was always rooting for you guys, and she was watching all the time. You know, shout out to Gma. You know, it just, it just, when I hear stuff like that, it just makes me, it just makes me love being an orange man even more. Yeah. You know, there's sometimes you go and you meet some people who, ah, oh, you should have done this, you should have done that. Okay, those people, they're entitled to their opinion. Right. But the love that I receive outweighs so much more than anything else. And that's, and you know, that's the thing is you've touched so many lives and you've touched so many hearts and, you know, speaking here with Otis Hill this morning, uh, Otis, has there been a moment, has there been something that's been maybe the most surprising to you since you've left Syracuse? Because, you know, people seem to always remember, I mean, Rob played in, Rob had his undefeated season in 87. And if I bring him somewhere and there's one fan, three fans, 10 fans, whatever it may be. And this is the thing. It doesn't matter numbers to me. It matters quality. So I'm hanging out with Rob and we go to a bar. It doesn't matter how many people are there. Somebody stops him. Somebody remembers. Somebody talks to him about his history. Do you have a special moment or a special something that sticks out to you that you just couldn't believe? How does this person remember this? Or, or, you know, one of those things that you really sat back and thought, wow, you know, I thought that was my worst game, and, and they're sitting here telling me that, you know, I did something great that they remembered from that game. Do you have a moment like that? Um, oh, yeah, I was going to, uh, I forgot what I was flying to. I think I was going down south to see my mom or something. And I was in uh, the airport, and I was in JFK, and I'm walking to the, to the gate, and there's this guy, and he's, you know, he's kind of following me, but he's not really following me. But I notice he's looking at me. So, you know, I'm thinking, whatever, he thinks I'm tall. <laughs> he comes over to me in tears, and I'm like, oh, man, what is going on? And he goes, you don't understand what me seeing you right now means in my life. And I'm like, oh, sugar, what is going on? He goes, my dad was so deathly ill during the time of your Final Four run. And when you guys started winning, he picked up. And he was himself for that whole entire tournament run. And he died, I think, a week after. But he said, you guys don't understand what you're winning and, and your, your camaraderie and, and your showmanship did for my father. And you kept him a lot longer a little bit longer for me to have him. And I just want to thank you. And like, I'm sitting here now, I'm <laughs> old as hell, I'm 68. I'm in tears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm in complete tears. So that was one time that I really remember. Well, yeah, and, and I'm sitting here in the studio and I got tears behind my eyes here in a story like that because that like, you know what I mean? Like that, that hits you because you're sitting here going, you know, who is this guy? Why is he looking at me like that? You know, what's he going to say? And you, and you never you never really know, you know, I, I'm sure, you know, how to approach somebody and whatnot and to hear that from him. 
But to see, those are the things. That's why I tell people all the time, listen, I accept everybody from all different backgrounds who listen to my show. We've had people all over the world listen, people that have a religion, don't have a religion, have a faith, don't have a faith. It doesn't matter. All different backgrounds, colors, shapes, and sizes. I appreciate everybody. And just as I respect everyone, I say respect the fact that I do believe. I believe in God. I believe in something bigger. And when I hear a story about that, it's hard for me to not believe that there is something bigger at hand that you walking by him in the airport that day brought him back to his father and then for him to look at you and say, I mean, how can it be anything short of a miracle for somebody to say to you, my dad was deathly ill and when you were playing in the tournament, all of a sudden his spirit came back. He was himself for that run and I got to be with my dad one more time and probably the last best memory he had of his father was of you guys play like how does that how do how do we refute that or say like oh no that was just a coincidence I mean how do you stomach that not being something bigger at hand right and, and that's what people don't realize you know it, it's weird as I got older and I started to mature and, and you know you never, when you're younger and you're playing the game, you never want to say, it's just a game. Because you don't feel that. You're not that mindset yet. But when you get older and you see people pass and you see all the, the tragedies in the world, you realize that it's just a game. But at the same time, it can be a lifesaver to some people. It can be a lifeline for some people. Absolutely. As we talk here with Otis Hill this morning, Syracuse Orange men's basketball alum. And Otis, I want to get to the the team here and, and, and what's going on with, you know, this, this team in this unit. But I did want to ask you this because I found it interesting now as, as a broadcaster and as, as a member of the media by definition, but not by attitude. And you know what I mean by that? So to, to be, a, I always tell people, it says media on my badge, but I'm a nice person. I, I, <laughs> when, when I look at walking up to somebody, you know, cause I see people in the airport too. And you know, one of the moments that I remember when you were telling that story, I remember Calais Campbell. Now, Calais Campbell, every year could be up for Defensive Player of the Year. Fantastic defenseman, uh, played on the defensive line for Arizona, has been with Jacksonville for a while now. Uh, Jaguars, uh, this is my 11th year covering them. I'll be stepping in year 12. So to, to have a connection to them is one thing, but I saw Calais and he was sitting in coach. I was in like 32. He was in like row 38, 37. And he's back there with, you know, with, he was traveling with somebody. And so I was like, what do I do? I want to talk to him because I've interviewed him, but when I'm wearing a badge, I can't like talk to him outside of that. You know, there's other media around. I can't ask for an autograph. So I, I, you know, as a fan, I kind of, I came out and you don't know what to do. And so I kind of just stood there and I'm going to be honest, I pretended that I was on my phone. <laughs> so I pretended I was on my phone and I just kind of hung out. Then I went over to him and I didn't want to interrupt. And then I was like, I was like, excuse me, Calais. And I was like, I don't know if you remember me, you know, I've interviewed you the last couple of years. And he was like, he looked at me and kind of looked again. He was like, oh yeah, man. He's like, how you doing? I said, I'm doing all right. And we started talking and we, the more we spoke, the more he was just off the cuff. Like there was no microphone. There's none of that stuff. And we were, and he, you know, we were talking about, you know, could this be the year and how are they going to do it? And I said, well, I know I can't ask you this, you know, when I have my badge on, but I'd really just personally like to have your autograph because I really respect you. And, and so he gave me his autograph and he was really nice, but you don't know like what to say because I never, even as a broadcaster, like I don't want to go up and bother people. And when they're at fan events, I don't want to 
bother them, but there's not many times where I can go up and, you know, people have this false sense of what media means. And when I go to the SU games, they're like, oh, so just get me a ticket and I'll sit next to you. I'm like, I don't get tickets. I get a badge. And they're like, oh, get me an autograph from Jim Beheim. I don't walk up to Jim Beheim in a press conference and ask for an autograph and, and I probably get smacked upside the head if I did. So, you know, so, so, I mean, it's just, it, you know, there, there's a, there's a false sense of what we do. I mean, we have access, but it's access. And at the same time, you know, we, you're doing your work and whatnot. But so when I get those moments to really just go up to somebody, like if you and I had never spoken, I saw you in an airport, I would try and find like, what's a way that I could go up to him where I'm not bothering him. But, you know, I, I do want to say hello. So, I mean, do you find that when you're in public that, that people kind of have that awkward, you know, dance of how do I go up to him? I don't want to bother him. Or do you have people that just kind of bum rush you and are, you know, you know, you're eating your sandwich and they're, you know, standing over your sandwich, talking so loud, spitting on the sandwich. I mean, how do you how have you experienced it? I got to say, for the most part, I um, I used to get the, the, the crazy fans when I was younger. Now I get some of the more mature ones. But, um, yeah, lately, as of, you know, since I've been out of school and uh, done with retired from Europe, I used to get the fans that'll have that awkward, you know, that awkward interaction, and I'll just say, I'll break the ass and say, hey, you want to come over? And they'll start laughing. Well, I kind of recognized you, and I didn't want to, oh, you're not bothering me. Because the autographs don't come as much. <laughs> they don't come as much anymore. So when anybody wants one, I'm always willing to get one. So but you can find it time to time. You have those people with those awkward moments trying to get your attention. Yeah, I mean, because it is. You don't, you, you know, because my thing is you never want to bother. And I always think back to what they said about Johnny Depp is that, you know, apparently he has a rule like he's the nicest person in the world, but he has a rule of, don't talk to my kids, don't touch my kids, don't bother my kids. If you want an autograph from me, just come up and get one, but please respect my family time. So, you know, there, there's there's those moments which I definitely, and I, and I always said, I was like, I want to build the show, and there's a lot of things I want to do in my, my, my life with music and with movies and, and maybe TV and whatnot. There's a lot of things I want to do, but I said to, I said to my lady recently, I was like, I want to get out there and do enough, but I've never been here to be famous. I was like, I'm not there to do that. I'm here to bring positivity to the world and attain my dreams. I'm not looking for fame. I said, I don't want to be that guy to the point where when I go out front to pick up the newspaper, there's someone hiding in my bushes. That's not the type of life that Daniel wants. So, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, and because, and, and, and I mean, I mean, maybe I've had some exes hide in the bushes, but besides that, Otis, we've been good. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think we both had that. <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, so, uh, I mean, all I'm saying, Otis, you, you're familiar with Batman, right? Oh, of course. Dark Knight, love him. Right. So, all I'm saying is if Arkham Asylum was ever a real place in, in New York slash Gotham City, I think that my past could fill it up pretty nicely. Is that... Oh, yeah. I, I, I'd get at least a floor. <laughs> at least the floor filled with, uh, oh, man, I had, you know, it's funny we're talking about this because I can remember one time I had uh, this fan. He was, he had pictures. He, I, he had a sock. I didn't know how he had a sock, and, and I never remembered autographing the sock, but it was my signature. Yeah. And he was at MSG, and my dad was like, look, be careful of this guy. 
And I'm looking at him like, Dad, that guy goes everywhere. I see him all over the place. And he's like, well, I'm going to stand over there and watch him <laughs> just to make sure. Oh, man. He had a sock of yours. He had a sock that I, I guess I signed it. Wow. And and I'm looking at him going, what the hell? <laughs> Where did he get this sock? And I, and I, you know, I just let it go. Like, I don't know. I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's. You know, I mean, if it makes you sleep better at night, I'm sure he just, you know, got it from your dresser drawer when he was hiding in your closet. But besides that, (laughs) but you know what I mean? I mean, like that, but that's, you know, that's, that's the real, real. But yeah, I mean, I, I totally get and understand. And yeah, I've, I've met some, I've met some Arkham Asylum in my day. Let's just say like this. When I saw Joaquin Phoenix play the Joker, I was like, I know a woman who acted like that. (laughs) Wow. You know, I think his makeup was done a little bit nicer. I'm just going to, but you know, I could just drop the mic and walk out of the studio right now. I almost got up. I was like, I think I should take a commercial break. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much done with that. Uh, So, so Otis, great segue, the basketball team currently. Uh, So what what are you thinking about? Let's go from the Joker, X's, Fans with Socks, Arkham Asylum, all makes sense to how about this i will make a segue the craziness of that and the craziness of this season and a team starting out with seven losses in their first 16 games atypical of syracuse but they're nine and seven and they were in need of a quality victory and they just got one when they had this opportunity to go up at virginia one on the road in overtime at virginia after losing to them in the beginning of the season what did you take away from that game? Do you think it's a? F- I mean, I know we got to see what they do from here, but did you see a change in the team? Does it feel like a fluke? Does it feel like you know how could this happen or could this be a turning point? What was your takeaway from the Virginia game most recently? Well, when I watched it, I I, I paid attention specifically to the defense. You know, a lot of times you may not have a bunch of great scores, or you might not have the best offensive team, but. You can always play defense. And I noticed that they were giving Virginia a little bit of trouble. So, I mean, and, you know, there are games where teams just miss shots, but they were playing really good defense up close, boxing out, um, being a little bit physical. I think, the, like I said, the, the few problems is they don't have a veteran, a veteran leader. And I think the biggest thing is you got to just let the guy score. You know, Coach has a tough time because his best two scorers are probably his youngest kids. You know, his son, which is Buddy. Yeah. And you got Gerard, who can shoot the ball, but it's it's hard to win off jump shots. You know, we need an inside presence. You need somebody that can just constantly create and go to the basket. But it's it's a tough, tough team because they're so young, and you don't know who everybody is yet. Well, yeah, that's the thing is, you know, we have a team right now that – you know, is 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 in a situation of you know they're getting to know. I mean, last year was a struggling year, and there was no central. And I and everybody kept asking me, "What's the problem? What's the problem? What's the problem?" And I've said this over and over on the show. I saw it in the locker room. They were disbanded, disjointed. No center, no nucleus, no no collective mind, no collective heart. They just wasn't there. There wasn't that love. There wasn't that. Com- they're just it, it. It was a disjointed team. It was a disbanded team. And this year. I see them lose to Notre Dame. I see them lose to Virginia Tech. I go into that locker room. 
and it doesn't feel the same. It feels like a bunch of guys who are pissed off at the fact that this happened, we let this happen, this can't happen again. So I'm seeing a different nature in this year's team. Now, they're struggling, but I'm seeing a different attitude. What does this win over Virginia do at this point when they lose a one-point game to Notre Dame, they lose a four-point game to Virginia Tech, they're not closing out some of these games, they lose you know, on the road when they go to the Barclays for Oklahoma State and Penn State, they, you know, they, they've lost a bunch of these games. They lost a rivalry game to Georgetown with Georgetown still down a couple players. What does this Virginia win do right now after all that heartache that they've had early in the season? I think it could give them a boost, to be quite honest. Virginia's a tough team, great team. So if you're going in now, you got this win on your belt, you have to build on it. you got to remember the good things you can do, and you have to – the biggest thing, like you said, is camaraderie you can't coach it. You know, you can't make it up. It has to be natural. And one thing you said that stuck out in my mind was when you saw the team last year, they weren't connected. It's very hard to win a game, to win, to have a to, to have a winning season when you're not together as a collective unit. We were close. You know, when I played, we, we went out all the time. We were at each other's houses. You know, we even took classes together. We, we, we were close. And that helps because you know, regardless that your teammate has your back. And when you don't have that feeling, eh, the team's not as strong, in my opinion. Right. You know, and, I, and I, the thing is, like I said, everybody was looking for the magic bullet. And I said, there is no magic bullet. They're just not together. And this year, it looks like they're working to do that a little bit more. And, you know, like you said, there's no senior. So, you know, Marek will be a senior next year. Eli will be a redshirt senior next year. Barama will be a senior next year. And there's a lot to be said about those gentlemen. And then with what Buddy's been able to do and what Joe Girard's been able to do leadership-wise and, you know, the the other newcomers coming in. What is your, before I let you go here, Jalen Carey? You know, I, I didn't anticipate he would be on the team this season. I thought, I you know, my, my thought on the whole situation was that he was going to leave. I mean, it seemed like he was in the doghouse. It seemed like playing time was an issue that he had a, a short leash. Now he's gone through injury, but whether he's injured or not, we still don't see him out there. Do you have any thought that, that Jalen Carey will remain in orange, in your opinion, or, or do you feel like that ship has sailed? Because it, it, it seems like no matter what, he's he's not in the rotation that already has Joe Girard, Buddy Bayheim, Howard Washington at times, and Bryson Goodine, who at some point will play as well. Oh, I've been reading about this kid, and I like him. I like what he can do on the court. He seems to be a really decent young man. It's tough being in his position because when you're a player, your only objective is to get on that floor. Yeah. Right. You know, Bayhan basically put it to me, you're going to have to do the dirty work. I don't care. That's what I got to do to play. That's what I'm going to do to play. And injury and now the the, the – the transfer pool—it's it, it, tough. I—I I don't want to make a prediction, and I don't want to assume to know what's going on in this young man's head. But I've been in a tough situation in Syracuse when my dad died, and I ended up staying, and it was probably one of the best decisions I ever made. But I can't put myself in his place. But I hope he stays, and I think he could be a valuable part of the team. I really do. But 
you never know. And you never know because this young man, you don't really know what's going on in his head. Right, right. And that coming from Otis Hill once again. Otis, as always, I appreciate it. I've realized that our, our laughter on the show has gone so far and that the PG-13 RNC-17 rating of this conversation will have to happen off the air. But, I mean, because we, we always bring the comedy. So, you know, I, I definitely appreciate talking with you. But as a friend, I owe you a phone call after after the show and, and where we can catch up and whatnot. So you can you can be sure that I will be in touch with you this week. And, and I can't thank you enough for being a part of the show today. Oh, Dan, it's great to be on your show. Great to have you in my life, buddy. So just give me a call anytime, okay?